Happy Monday, and welcome to another episode of the Sneak Preview, a Filmgasm Productions podcast that follows the current film calendar. I'm Connor Izagiri. And I'm Caleb Roger. And today we're covering five of last week's releases. Gunpowder Milkshake, Escape Room Tournament of Champions, Fear Street Part 3, 1666, Space Jam, A New Legacy, and our main course, Pig. An odd assortment and a fun show today. But first, let's take a look at what happened last week in film. Last week in film. A lot of trailers dropped last week. First up, Annette, a prime video drama starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard as artists who find out their daughter has a talented gift. Debuts on Prime Video August 20th. Uh, we're starting to get into award season, so there's a lot of Oscar bait movies about to happen. This is definitely one of them. Uh, AKA the season that my movie output kind of dwindles slightly. Um, no, no offense to Oscar bait movies whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I, I, right before we recorded, so, so the audience is clear. I've only seen one of these trailers we're about to talk about. Unfortunately, it's not the one movie. Um, I know Adam Driver is a really good actor. I heard, I know he got, uh, he got nominated, I believe, for Marriage Story. Um, I don't, did he win or no? I don't think he won. He was nominated for Marriage Story and for Black Klansman, but he has not yet won. Okay. So, you know, he's proven he has like the, he has a talent, right? He's, he's very talented actor. Um, You know, Star Wars aside, that did him no favors. Uh I think, I think it did him humongous favors to put him on in the, in the spotlight. Yeah. But I mean, just like, yes, spotlight, but if you're talking performance, that movie really, mishandled his character because i thought he was trying to bring it and you could tell he was trying to bring it just they didn't know what to do with his character um hey, wrong. <laughs> but yeah um, hey you know what i hope i hope he gets nominated again hopefully once this time he doesn't become like the next star to just keep getting nominated and never fucking win so yeah well i do want to just confess this trailer actually came out last week but i didn't know about it till this week because uh, yeah, the universe just dropped these trailers out of fucking nowhere all the time. I know, it's annoying. Uh, but Annette, so that'll, you know, August 20th, looks interesting. Next up, Queen Pins. A crime comedy starring Kristen Bell and Kirby Howell-Baptiste as two housewives who start a $40 million coupon scam. Co-stars Paul Walter Hauser and Vince Vaughn comes out September 10th. And this, I think it's based on a true story of... Two people who found some kind of coupon uh, scam code loophole thing and completely like rip people off out of forty million dollars. Uh, looks looks funny. I'll check this show out later. Um, I like the cast. I mean, Christian Bell is usually really funny. Vince Vaughn. I mean, that guy is just like comedy. I guess legend icon. Everyone concerned, but he's calm. Like he's a he's been doing comedy for a while, so. He's always usually really good. And Paul Walter Hauser has become one of my favorite character actors in recent years. He's done really good work. Uh, you know, I, Tanya, Richard Jewell, Cruella. He's. Was he the, uh, was he in Cruella, the, the bigger of the two? Or yeah. Or, okay. No, you know that. Okay. Yeah. I like him. 
I heard he's really good in Richard Short. I do really want to check that one out one day. That's a good movie, infuriating. It uh, looked infuriating on the trailer, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Next up, Naked Singularity, a crime drama starring John Boyega as a public defender whose life begins to unravel when he loses his first case. Co-stars Olivia Cook, Bill Skarsgård, Ed Screen, and Tim Blake Nelson. Hits theaters August 6th, but hits VOD August 6th. <laughs> so this looks, this doesn't look very good, honestly. I'm not going to lie. This looks pretty generic. Uh, reminds me of The Counselor. Oh, God. Is that that? That was the one with Fazbin, right? Yeah, the one where Cameron Diaz oh, fucks a car. Yes, got that movie. Um, uh, yeah, it, it looks all right. I kind of feel bad for John Boyega. Uh, he is like he's he's not a bad actor like he does good but my god does this guy just not get good scripts he needs to either find a new agent or be a little bit more picky but i mean again yeah again going back to star wars that movie i would say more so now driver really did him wrong big time yeah. oh yeah his character got annihilated thanks to whatever the hell was going on yeah like yeah he got he really got cheated, in my opinion. Um, well, you I mean, know, if, you've ever I, seen, if you've ever seen Detroit, he's he's really good in that. He's really, okay. I'm going to say, yeah, because I know recently there was the news that he's coming back to do Attack, Attack the Block. Yeah, Attack the Block 2. And I was like, well, I'm, I, well, I'm personally really excited because I like the first one. Um, it does also scare me in that he has to come back. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Is, is this because he needs to because his career since hasn't been as strong? Or is he just like, is the script's that good for that particular movie? Because, yeah, this Naked Singularity, it, it doesn't, it looks like so, anything else I've seen. You know what I mean? It doesn't look like anything new. Yeah, there's this g- generic kind of flavor about it that I'm not expecting much from it. Um, yeah. And I think that's the same week as the Suicide Squad. So, yeah, good luck. It's, yeah, it's going to get crushed. Uh, next up, Blue Bayou, an immigration drama starring Justin Chan and Alicia Vikander. Seems like a possible contender for next year's Oscars. Comes out September 17th. Uh, this looks sad. My God, does this look depressing. Uh, but I will be there for sure. This looks like something to watch out for. Um, based on a true story of a man who was adopted, a Korean man who was adopted at three years old, Due to a technicality in his paperwork, he was deported back to Korea in his 40s. So, really fucked up story. Uh, Hopefully shines a light on the way we handle immigration in this country. All right. You know, it's a timely release, and I can't say a lot about Alicia Vikander, because most of Sarah was the Tomb Raider movie. Um, She's good in that, so hopefully she, you know, she... It's good in this as well, I'm sure. I remember her being good in the Tomb Raider movie. Alicia Vikander was good in Tomb Raider. She was fantastic in Ex Machina. And yeah, she was in Ex Machina. Yeah. Holy fuck. She's yeah. Ava. And then she won an Oscar for her performance in The Danish Girl, which was also really good. Okay, so she'll bring it. Yeah. And, you know, I, Ex Machina and Tomb Raider are the two movies I've seen her in. Um, and then finally, the teaser for Pixar's next film, Turning Red, has come out. Uh, in this film, a young girl morphs into a giant red panda whenever she's feeling very stressed out. Um, it's expected March 2022. And this looks less than Pixar's fair. This feels like a Disney movie. 
feels very basic, pretty predictable. It's got a brave vibe. Are we saying it's going more the route of like cars and the good dinosaur quality and not necessarily like, uh, you know, Toy Story or the underappreciated Ratatouille? Yeah, bringing that back still. (laughs) Well, basically just looks like, you know, she's a cute Hulk that has issues with her mom. She's going to spend an adventure learning about (coughs) how to control this, you know, how to control her anxiety and she's going to reconnect with her mom and all's going to be fine. Pixar's really going all in on the emotion thing since Inside Out. Have you noticed that? They kind of have, yeah. Like Inside Out, I haven't seen Soul yet. I know it has to do with death, but I'm sure like emotion plays a part in that. Yeah. Obviously. So it's like they're really going all in on that ever since Inside Out became like a humongous hit for them, which I mean, don't get me wrong, great movie, but Pixar, come on. A new variety here. <laughs> uh well, that's the trailers. Uh interesting variety. I love trailer time. I love just seeing like what what is this new thing I'm going to get to see soon? Uh, <laughs> next up, uh, WandaVision director Matt Shackman has been tapped to direct a new Star Trek film. Uh, Paramount is hoping they can entice the Kelvin timeline crew, meaning Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, and the others, to come back for a fourth adventure. So that's the new plan. WandaVision director, original cast. Well, not original uh, cast, but you know, reboot cast. I'll see it when I believe it. I mean... We were supposed to get what we were supposed to get this fourth one a long time ago, and then it I forgot who the original director attached was, but they they said no to it, they they walked away. Those whole talk about you know Tarantino potentially doing an R rated Star Trek, and that's not moving forward anymore. Like, I'll, I'll believe this when I see it, okay? I'm well, I feel like I've given updates on a fourth Star Trek movie on sneak preview, and then when that's when last week in film was on the Filmgasm podcast. I feel like there's been so many updates on this fourth Star Trek movie and all of them contradict one another. So I just, I don't know at this point. I don't know. It's, that's why I say like, I'll believe when I see it. And don't get me wrong. I'm like, look, let me know. And like, I'm not the biggest Star Trek fan. I did like the movies. I have, I did like that first season of Picard. That's on uh, Paramount Plus. I do, because of it, I want to check out Discovery. I keep hearing really good things about that one. Um, But and I would definitely be down for with that cast, like the Star Trek trilogy cast, I would absolutely be down for a Star Trek four. But I've heard so much on and off things about it that I'm like, all right, I'll just wait till I see a trailer. Once I see a trailer that shows me footage, okay. Well, I last heard they all moved on. Like they were all like, we don't want to do it anymore. And then after Anton Yelchin died, there's going to be a gap there that it's going to be felt. So I just don't know if it's going to happen that way i know paramount wants that to happen but i, I wouldn't bet i want to i think they just they i think what they need to do is just do what they've always done on star trek find a new story to tell let that yeah. cast go because it, yeah. it would be weird because anton yelchin if i recall correctly he died before they did the third film right no he died uh while they were filming but he had filmed enough of his role to be significant and beyond that was his last movie. okay okay that's right i can't remember but yeah you know he you know, yeah, you could argue that his character is not the most, not a main character of Star Trek, but he did such a good job that it would be weird to see someone else take it over. Well, the thing about that, you know, the original characters, the crew of the Enterprise, all of them are indispensable. You need that entire unit to work. And you can't make one without Chekhov. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't feel right. No, and I mean... For someone who had a dad that like could name all these characters, I know 
that the hardcore Star Trek fans would immediately notice. So it's like, at this point, you either just need to go ahead and do another kind of reboot, another different timeline. I mean, Star Trek's been around since, like, what? I want to say late 50s? or Late 60s. 60s. Late 60s. I was about to say, God damn it, how long? Late 60s. And it's been rebooted so many fucking times that no one's really going bad eye if you do it again. You know, like, no one's going to freak out. If you want to tell a new story or reboot something, like, no one's going to give a shit. I mean, in the past, like, five years, there's been, th- like, three new Star Trek shows with a fourth on the way. <laughs> yeah. Paramount yeah. Plus has Picard, which is a sequel series to Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah. I've seen that one. It's good. There's Discovery that's been hugely successful for them, which is a whole new storyline. That has, like, two or three fucking announced spinoffs coming out at some point. Then they got, mm-hmm. their little, they got their animated adult one called Star Trek uh, Lower Decks that explores, like, that I do want to watch because, like, the crew that you don't see having to clean up after them. I love that idea. Yeah, so that, and I heard it's actually pretty funny. I want to check that out. And now they get a animated, another animated one on the way, but for kids, because the Lower Decks meant for adults, it's like adult animation. They got another one for kids coming out here saying that they've showed screenshots of. So, yeah, it, you can do a new thing and no one's going to give a shit because people are so hungry for Star Trek. All these decades later, you do not need to keep doing the one that the the Abrams cast. You know, you don't have to keep doing that one. Yeah, do a whole new thing. I I don't know. Yeah, this isn't going to work out. Because uh, wasn't this like wasn't uh, Noah Hawley supposed to direct this movie? He was one of the names attached, and I was excited. I was like, he could do a really cool one, and then he left because it, it took too long. It. And it was funny because at one point they even thought it wasn't going to happen because Beyond didn't do that hot at the box office compared to um, the last two. Like in comparison to the ones before it, I'm not. It's kind of like the whole Spider-Man three thing. Yes, it did a lot just in comparison. I watched Beyond fairly recently. It's not a bad film. It's pretty good. It's a good finale for that crew. Honestly, it's it's honestly it's the most Star Trekky of that trilogy, which is probably why it didn't do. The best, I think, it was the most like Star Trekky. I like it still, um, but I remember it like that was. About that. It was funny about that. Simon Pegg said one of the notes he got from producers about uh, Beyond, which he wrote, was that it was too Star Trekky. He said like this needs to be less Star Trekky, and he's like, "What's well, it? But it's Star Trek. <laughs> what do you want?" <laughs> I dude, I have heard so many good stories. Like uh, listening to the. Uh, the movie crypt of like notes from uh, things like apparently um, one of the people on the podcast, I'm not going to say names in case it gets out there, was writing a script long last time ago, a treatment for Aquaman. And apparently he had a note from the studio that said, why is there so much water? And he's like, it's fucking Aquaman. Why are you asking that question? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my God. So, Oh yeah, the studios, man. They are fucking. They're 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 just right on the zeitgeist of what we want. Um, it, yeah, this. I remember when it came out. I had heard from. I think it was Simon Pegg actually, or one of the actors saying like they don't really know if it's going to move forward to Star Trek Four because the studio didn't really like the numbers they got on Beyond. So it's like there was already doubt to begin with. So why are we still teasing this? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Studios just. Ugh. you know that um on back to the future when they were writing that one of the notes they got from the studio was that they should call it spaceman from pluto god yeah and they were serious <laughs> also beetlejuice 
uh, Tim Burton was so tired of getting feedback from studios that he suggested they call the film Scared Sheetless. And then was so pissed that they actually started to consider it. <laughs> like he almost fucked his, um, himself over there. God, studios are so fucking stupid. And in versus the NPA, they're real dumb when they tell, tell them like what they need to edit out. <laughs> oh yeah, yippee kaye, Mr. Falcon. <laughs> I've heard Next certain time. directors that haven't cut anything out on their notes and they resubmit it and then they get the rating. <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> They'll do that to the studio will be like, this needs to be the battle scene needs to be bigger. This needs to be more dialogue. And then they'll just send the same draft of the script and they'll be like, brilliant, make this. Like, fucking assholes. You don't even read it. You just yeah. need to be heard. You just need to know you had input. Yeah. You just tell them, like, yeah, we did it. And then they go, oh, okay, cool. And yeah. You know what it is? It's like when you're playing video games and your little brother walks in and is like, I want to play. And you give him a controller that's not plugged in and he thinks he's playing. <laughs> that's, that's the movie studio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of studio unnecessary input there is a remake of the thomas crown affair currently in the works with michael b jordan set to star as wealthy art thief thomas crown stepping into the shoes of both steve mcqueen and pierce brosnan uh, the film is being produced by anthony and joe russo of avengers endgame and infinity war uh post marvel their output has not been great <laughs> So I don't know about this. I don't really care for the Thomas Crown Affair. I've seen the Pierce Brosnan one. I think it's pretty slow. Uh, I don't think there's anyone really hankering for more Thomas Crown. So I haven't seen either one. Don't have any interest in seeing either one. So yeah, they don't. I don't. Okay, good for you, Michael B. Jordan. It's about an art, a wealthy like businessman guy who's kind of renowned for his art collection. goes to an art museum and steals a Monet just because he can. And then he, then the insurance investigator from the museum falls in love with him. The cops are hot on his trail. So he organizes this giant scheme to put the painting back. And that's pretty much the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't get the acclaim. <laughs> I find Michael B. Jordan. Hopefully I don't get a stupid cameo that infuriates me. We'll get into that on Space Jam though. We're going to get into that. That was. I hope you saw my review. I did. Fuck me, man. You, you treated that movie like a personal attack. (laughs) Jesus, like some like Warner Brothers was like, you know what's really gonna piss off Caleb Leger? Let's remake Space. Let's do Space Jam again. (laughs) I don't think I've ever felt like white hot anger for a movie in my life till I watched that. The whole time I was watching it, I'm like, oh, he's going to hate this. <laughs> he's going to hate this so much. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on. <laughs> this was awesome. We knew this was going to happen, but it's still really cool to get confirmation. Ian McShane is confirmed to be returning as the enigmatic Winston for John Wick Chapter 4, set for release May 2022. Of course. And I could not be more excited. That movie's going to be Fucking awesome. Yeah, same here. Um, like I said, we knew it was going to happen, especially when they like they even got Lance Reddick. And I was like, oh, okay, if they got Lance Reddick, they're going to get Ian McShane back. He seems to really like these movies. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, just like I said, having to confirm is awesome. It's just hoping Kevin this rounds out a pretty awesome confirmed cast. Like I'm loving the cast for this upcoming John Wick film. It's going to be like Donnie Yen alone had me sold. I was like, oh my fucking god! First you got the raid guys in three and how many Donnie fucking Yen? Hell yeah! Um, I'm excited. Um, I cannot wait for John Wick four. I can't wait for what I don't want to spoil. I don't know if you have it in your news articles i don't see the script on my end um but the tv show oh yeah i don't do tv show updates here but yeah i know what you're talking about yeah i was like i don't want to ruin it in case you have it in the script but uh i'm excited for that since i don't know if you heard about what the big news on that this past weekend it's been re it's been reconfigured that's why it's been taking so long they decided not to make it into like necessarily a show it's going to be a three episode event series for like stars river is doing it Oh. And it's going to be a young Ian McShane character basically developing the Continental. Fuck yeah! And it's, they said it's going to be like it's going to be like movies. It's going to be three ninety-minute movies, unlike the almost two-hour ones that we'll be talking about later. <laughs> but it's going to be three ninety-minute movies, like so an event series now. So that's I guess what's been taking so long. They kind of I guess they didn't like what they were doing, and they reconfigured it, and it sounds awesome as fuck, and I can't wait for it. Have they cast young uh, Winston yet? They have not. They just confirmed that it is going to be a young Winston, but they have not done casting. They just came out to say that this is what's going on with it. We refigured it into this. That's fantastic. I'm I'm really excited about that. I wonder if we're going to get to see a young John Wick, like just starting out in the I'd, business. I'd be like, not even if like they don't even have to do like a full thing where I see his arc. Just give me like a cameo, like he pops in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it can still be Keanu Reeves because he hasn't aged since the '80s. Dude has. <laughs> That dude has to fight aging. It is so weird. <laughs> oh, I love this universe so much. This is I can't not wait for John Wick 4. Can't wait for 5. I know it's off still, but it's confirmed it's happening, so I cannot wait for 4 and 5. Ah. And speaking of 5, finally, um, Oscar nominee Antonio Banderas has joined the growing cast of Indiana Jones 5, expected uh, July 2022. He joins Mads Mikkelsen, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Toby Jones, Boyd Holbrook, Thomas Kretzman, Seanette Renee Wilson, and of course, Harrison Ford. Uh, the more people get added to this, the more excited I get. Like, they really are giving us a bitchin' cast. Uh, this, this could be good. I, yeah, dude, I was, I'm sure we were both on the same page. I was really hesitant when they were constantly talking about doing a fifth Indiana Jones when they got the Star Wars property. Yeah. I was like, come on, like, the last one was not good. Harrison Ford is in, you know, he's close to his 80s now. And he, he, he just old. turned 79. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, he's, he always seems so disinterested in what the fuck he's doing now. The only reason they got him back for Star Wars because he requested he gets killed off. I'm like, I'm not interested in new Indiana Jones. Just let it go. But then, like, and then there's the issue with, um, you know, Steven Spielberg had the creative issues, which scared me. So I was like, ah, oh, shit. Like, you're getting rid of fucking Spielberg. <sighs> but. <laughs> And all that said, like you said, the casting is making me more excited. I mean, honestly, Thomas, I know probably people weren't freaking out about these two, but I was. When they said Thomas Crutchman and Mads Mikkelsen, I was like, holy shit, I like both those guys. Very underappreciated actors. I fucking love them. Um, yeah. That alone made me happy. This recent one um, is awesome. And the director they did get is fucking stellar. I mean, it's uh, James Mangold, right? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, it's James Mangold. Yeah. James Mango, I mean, between Ford F. Fiari and fucking uh, Logan, 
yeah, you could not have given the same one better, in my opinion, to take over from Spielberg. And in Harrison Ford's defense, he has always been very passionate about Indiana Jones. That's always been his favorite character to play. So I feel like he wouldn't be a part of this if this story wasn't significant. And that and that's true too. I did forget to mention that that having him come back as part of the cast gives me hope because yes, he's always been passionate about this role. So that tells me that there was a good script handed to him. I mean, I'm go like, yes, I can do this one more time. <sighs> I really hope this doesn't suck. I don't. I can't do it again. Yeah, and like, like I said, this Antonio Banderas one, like, is he having a comeback? Because he was in the uh, Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, and now he's in this. Is he is he coming back? Because I've kind of missed him. I didn't realize I missed him, so I've seen him pop up. I know. I, there, I At one point, he was everywhere, and then he just vanished. And I remember thinking, like, where's Antonio Banderas? <laughs> like, he was the guy. And then, you know, 2019, he scores an Oscar nomination for Pain and Glory. And since then, he's been on an upswing, and I'm very happy about that. Good for him. I heard he's really good, and I haven't seen it yet. I like the first movie, but uh, Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. I heard he's like really good in that. Like he's he camps it up apparently. He plays a Greek businessman who's trying to destroy all of Europe with a computer virus, and he's really good. Uh, great villain. That movie was funny as hell. I was not expecting to like it, but <laughs> some about those movies just work. Yeah, no, I want to see that because I actually like I like the first one. I thought the first one was hilarious, and that only picture I just. I think it was, I wasn't on that sync preview, so I was like, oh, I don't need to rush to watch it. We got our shit going on that weekend. <laughs> yep. I remember that. Yeah, I, what movie was the, it wasn't Hitman's Bodyguard that was the, uh, the focus that week. I don't remember. But uh, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what happened last week in film. We have five films to get through today. Uh, I say get through because a lot of these weren't great. Uh, let's, yeah, not the best weekend in my opinion not really let's start with gunpowder milkshake um this came out this past wednesday on netflix uh stars karen gillen lena hetty uh paul giamatti for about five minutes uh, michelle yo angela bassett and carla Gugino. ralph innocent for two minutes ralph innocent for two minutes again uh yeah uh basically why is it that every assassin-themed action flick from the past 10 years starring a woman follows the exact same template of <coughs> regional deviation? Like, it's always, you know, female assassin who's betrayed by her people or an agent friend. The movie spends the entire runtime reminding the audience that women can kick ass too. And I'm not saying they can't, but... Stop shoving it down my throat. Stop acting like they can't. That's the thing. These yeah. movies are like the reverse of what they should be doing. I mean, look at like Kill Bill, Wanted, Charlie's Angels, the original one. Those all work. A- aliens. Aliens, yeah. It's There's Terminator something about 2. these films. They never act like they're making a bold statement about gender equality, but and they always like, they always act like it's some revelation they came up with. Like, can you believe that a woman can kick ass? Like, yeah, I can. It's not a crazy statement, buddy. I've been watching it for a while. Actually, if you watch horror films of the 80s, I, I will absolutely make the argument that slasher movies are not misogynistic because they do well i mean yeah but i'm just saying like for the most part they do show women kicking ass and being powerful you know the final glory exists for a reason so Mm -hmm. it's been around but yeah it's like these movies come out and it's not even like for me it's not necessarily the constant reminder of like i mean kick ass in these movies it's that these movies follow the same fucking plot every goddamn time yeah, me too. I've got nothing against, you know, 
positive female-led action movies. I love action movies, like regardless of who's in them. To me, it's all about the content and how you tell the story. And these films are basically just retreading the same idea over and over again. And I'm really tired of it. Yeah. It, yeah, I wasn't, I'm, I put it, I, th- I think I put it in my refiling. So I'm just, I finally got kind of almost like this for certain the phone was a tipping point. I'm already like halfway through the year pretty much. And I'm fed up with Netflix's insistence on quantity over quality. Oh, Netflix, yeah. quit it. If you're not going to give me like good movies, I don't need to have a packed weekend with your shitty film. Because <laughs> I'm tired of it. Like, fuck Netflix. Like, here we are with a movie that I've seen this story before. The action's not even that good. There was maybe two scenes that impressed me. The bowling alley scene when she got her arms paralyzed. Those were inventive. Um, weird tonal shifts. Like, a weird swerver in a comedy that just wasn't present throughout the rest of the film when they get, like, the laughing gas. Um, and the most underdeveloped, poorly written, bad guy motivations I've seen in life. Like, I did not understand exactly the d- thing between Paul Gene and Ralph Innocent's characters. I didn't get what was like, I didn't get any of that because it's not developed at fucking all. I think my biggest question was who the hell robbed Paul Giamatti? I, none of that never came up again. It was a huge what? thing in the beginning. Like somebody has stolen money from me, but then that guy gets, is blackmailed by somebody else. But then the blackmailers are all killed. We never find out who the hell they are. It, none of this like Ralph Innocent he pops up at the beginning then he gets a phone call scene for like 30 seconds and you don't see him until the end and he's a really good character actor with a very unique voice that could pay, play an imposing villain and completely fucking wasted when it gets to the end and he's supposed to he's doing his big spell I was like I don't fucking care because even if like there was a sequel he probably won't show up till the fucking end like, <laughs> why, why do I care you're not that intimidating when I don't see you for the whole movie I'm pretty sure Ralph Innocent's playing the Green Knight in the Green Knight. Like, is that he's that's who he's playing that character, right? I think he is. I recognize I, the voice in the trailer. I need to look it up. He might be. But yeah, I agree with you on all counts. Uh, I didn't get the soundtrack. The songs were so oddly like they didn't work with the scenes. There was so much stolen from John Wick. It was ridiculous. <laughs> oh, like it wasn't even, they weren't even trying to hide it. Well, and that's, that's the other thing. So you got the Netflix algorithm, right? And then you got the current action algorithm. Like it must be exactly like John Wick to make money, but no one takes into account why we all fell in love with the John Wick series. <laughs> Oh, this is, I feel like we're going to see this movie again pretty soon too. They make it at like three times a year. All right. Well, this upcoming weekend, if anything to be believed with the Kate Beckinsale movie. Oh yeah. Jolt. There it is again. Uh, so it's it's like, the female version of yeah, Crank. You got a week reprieve there. <laughs> oh, it's, it's infuriating. Um, yeah. And it's really annoying in the sense that like they... They take really good actors. Like these people attached to this movie are good actors. I mean, Ralph Innocent, Paul Giamatti, uh, Karen Gillan, Lena Headey, Angela Bassett, like Carla Gugino. They're all great fucking actresses and actors, but they are just so wasted in this fucking movie. Lena Headey always looks vaguely pissed off about something, and Paul Giamatti always looks kind of constipated. <laughs> like they just 
something about they're they're always like upset about something, and that's just I don't know. Um, characters they play. Yeah, it was uh it was disappointing. It was overly long. Didn't make a lot of sense, and I don't I didn't care for it. I gave it a six. That's based mostly on the performances and some of the choreography. I want to I want a tad bit. I went one notch lower. I want to go to five. I started. I think I started out with six, and as I was writing, I was like, "Yeah, I didn't really like this. It's a five. <laughs> that happens sometimes when I'm writing, and then I'm like, "Oh wait, I might have to adjust that score." I said in my review that I think you'll have more fun and a similar experience if you just get two TVs and watch John Wick and Kill Bill at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just watch another better female-fronted action movie. We named a bunch of them. You got you got the James Cameron early years and Terminator Two and Aliens. You got fucking Kill Bill with Tarantino. Like, they're up. And if you know what, if you're wanting to switch it up with horror, you got the whole 80s slasher, plenty of horror films with strong female leads. You got constant out there. You just don't need this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so don't bother with Gunpowder Milkshake. You can do better. Next up, Escape Room, Tournament of Champions. Um, to prep for this, I watched the original Escape Room, uh, which I surprisingly liked. Uh, it's basically PG-13 Saw, but it's aware of that. <laughs> I was about to say, I was actually, I, I was really keen to when you were going to do a review. So I was like, I legitimately can't, because usually like in my head, I'm like, I think he'll like this. Or I think he won't like this. This one was like, this is 50-50, because it is a blatant Saw ripoff, but like you said, they're aware of what they're doing. Um, but when I, I started, I was like, oh, okay, cool. He did like it. That's that's good. So I think I think you actually gave it a score higher than I did. Yeah. I've become unpredictable. <laughs> uh, yeah, I gave this an eight. I, I was enjoy. I, I liked the characters, most of them. That uh, Jason dude was a complete one hundred percent dick. I think that he was like one of the biggest reasons I dropped that to a seven because he's so fucking annoying. He's Patrick Bateman trapped in an escape room, basically like a sociopath, you know, stockbroker who's willing to do whatever it takes. Evil bastard. But I liked the other characters. I liked seeing uh, Dale from Tucker and Dale. That was cool. He was good. Yeah. Uh, the lady from Daredevil, she was good in it. Yeah. Karen. Karen. Yeah. Uh, I liked her in it. Yeah. First one surprised me. I like how it kind of started out slow with like, oh, wait, we're in the escape room now. And then yeah. they're all like, well, this is an interesting puzzle. And then shit gets real. And they're like, fuck. <laughs> I yeah. I think, I think uh, for me, like, yeah, like I think other than like that character, I, I'm never the biggest fan of in media rest openings. So I didn't need that opening that kind of tells you. But that dude's for sure going to make it to a certain point in this film. <laughs> like, you didn't need to give me that. Um, but no, I remember really like being surprised by it. And I think I remember like Josh actually like got off of Netflix and asked me, I was like, oh, dude, it's not bad. You should check it out. And I actually went over and watched it again at his place. Um, yeah, it's it's a fun movie. Um, I actually like legitimately if this be- if this new one successful and becomes like a franchise, I'm down with it. I, I really think the concept they have is gold with the idea of like these escape rooms actually kill you. It's really interesting. And they have honestly inventive escape room, escape rooms in both films. Well, in the second one, my only issue is that didn't they say in the first one that nobody's ever escaped the escape room? I believe so. And then the second one, all the survivors are people who've survived the escape rooms. Tournament of champ. Well, maybe that's what they meant. Is that like people do survive, but they don't truly get out you know what i mean like eventually minos grabs him again just when i thought i was out they pull me back in sorry well pacino for you there um 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm watching The Sopranos, and that, that quote comes out a lot. Uh, I yeah, Tournament of Champions. I went to see it. I was the only one there, uh, which is rare. That hasn't happened in a while. Yeah, I was like, even my theater had a couple of people in it. I saw it at 12:30 on the Friday it came out, and it was just me. And the, the server lady was like, "Hey, how's it going? What do you want?" Like she was very informal, and I I was like that when I could just be kind of like shooting the shit with the waiter. They don't need to put, stand on ceremony. <laughs> um, it was nice. Uh, it was a cool idea, you know, taking down Nino's escape rooms, uh, and then ending up in a secret one. I thought that was cool. I mean, the trailer revealed a shit ton. I wish that hadn't happened. They did, but I did give credit that there was a twist. I did not see the twist at the end coming that happens, and I'm glad the trailer did not do any kind of hints towards that at all. Well, I wish they hadn't spoiled when they come out into the acid trap and think that they've escaped. I uh, wish that they had, had, hadn't put that in the trailer because I like that moment. That part, oh, shit, yeah. still in the game. That part, yeah, they could have kept that out. I did like, um, I noted in my review, I actually kind of respected that previously on thing they did at the beginning. Because that is something that, like, the 80s slashers, like, especially Friday 13, did a lot. Because, you know, back then you couldn't just buy these movies and watch it again. You only yeah. saw them in theaters, so they had to do that to keep people going. So just, like, to have that, it was nice. So, like, oh, nice. I, I, I was very against that. <laughs> I was down for it. It was a nice little, like, throwback to me. I was insulted. I was like, you think I'm stupid, movie? I'm seeing Escape Room 2. I saw Escape Room 1. If I didn't, that's on me. Don't recap this shit. This isn't a movie of the week. We've Look, man, we've seen how people act. You know how people are nowadays. Oh, well, whatever. I, I liked it. Nice little throwback to the 80s slashers, I thought. I enjoyed it. I like the ending where they're like, you know, you, nobody, nobody escapes the room ever. Mm-hmm. Like The whole plane thing was really smart. I would like a third movie. But I would. You got it. Like, is there anywhere else it can go to the? But without them basically being like god level powerful. That is true because, like, right now what they did, like, I do think they did a good job of still making them even more terrifying. Like, these guys are in deep. But yeah, it does get to a point where, like, it and it got that way with the Star franchise since we're preparing here. You know, um, yeah. where after I was like, how many Francis can this fucking guy have? You know what I mean? It did get to that point, and hopefully, it hasn't. Do something like that really quick with um this on the third movie. But like for what they gave me with this one, I, I enjoyed it. I was with you, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought the escape rooms were really cool. They made Minos even more scary. Yeah. By really furthering their reach. And again, I thought like how they did the twist at the end and how they kind of linked a lot of stuff together was actually really smart. I agree. Um I I do like a nice short movie. I think an hour 30 is a perfect length for a film. And I wish more movies were like that. Everything's too fucking self-indulgent these days. Oh, yeah. I was a big fan of that hour and a half. Especially after watching three films that were literally right below two hours. I was like, thank God. Hour and a half. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> Escape Room Tournament of Champions. I gave an eight. I thought it was entertaining. And that's ultimately what matters most. Okay, given it, it's probably entertained by it. Noise. Um, that takes us to Fear Street Part 3, 1666. We are, are finally so- fucking done with Fear Street. 
you are saving a certain one on me for last, aren't you, you son of a bitch? Yeah, that we have a lot to say on that one. Uh, <laughs> Fear Street 3 takes place in, you guessed it, 1666, where Dina, our hero, isn't so much transported back in time to the uh, <coughs> era as we thought, more given a, you know, kind of a video presentation of what went down. Which is good, because I was thinking, oh shit, now we're in a fucking time travel movie. <laughs> but no, we weren't. It was smart. And we got to see this, you know, how Sarah Fear was really killed. And it was actually pretty damn engaging. I thought this was easily the best one. Mm. For me, yeah. second best, right behind the first behind the first one. But I, I, I know we have our dishes on that first one. Uh, no, I actually really like this one. Um, unlike the second one, which I felt like just kind of validated things I already knew. This one moved the story. You know what I mean? Like, and I like how they actually almost they split into halves, which was never advertised in the trailer, which I really liked. Yeah. When the first half was 1666, and we were getting the full backstory along with a twist. But again, like Escape Room, I personally I didn't see it coming. I was like, oh shit, that's the one that's been behind it the whole time. Yeah. Okay, I'm down. So like. I really like that. And then I like how about halfway through they cut and go 1994 part two. And I'm like, oh shit, that wasn't advertised. And then you, you're seeing a significant chunk of the conclusion. Unlike last week's where it was like maybe 10 minutes and it was always just to get the fucking hand. And then that was it. Um, but this one actually did it. And it had that, uh, a stand, to me, a standout scene in the mall when they spray the blood on all of them and they fucking go at each other. <laughs> fucking stellar scene that was awesome that was cool i like that a lot yeah uh, so <laughs> really enjoyed this one yeah i love the whole you know revelation of and this is a show that covers current films so if you're listening to this expect spoilers because i'm about to go spoiler on your ass uh it was the cop whoa and is it a little do you think it's a little on the nose that the guy named sheriff good was the bad guy <laughs> a little on the nose but as someone who read a lot of these films and a little bit of the fear street it is not exactly outside of Otto Stein's forte and the guy could be on the nose but again he wrote things meant for children not adults so shocker on shock street yeah so like <laughs> yes yes on the nose but again as someone who is going and knowing this is an Otto Stein adaptation it does not bother me because if anything, it's like, all right, well, it's just what I would expect from him. You know what I mean? Like his type of work. And so I can I can take it. If it wasn't his type of work, I'd be a little bit more like, really? Sheriff Good? Okay. Well, you know, it's not quite on the nose as algae rhythm, but we'll get to that. Uh, uh, don't get me mad right now. <laughs> I liked that we actually got to see Fear Street. And it's spelled the other way. I thought I was like, oh, that's where it comes from. It, uh, it went there. Yeah, the uh, books always purposely spelt it the correct way, but not was actually spelled. Well, I like the whole idea that this family has been selling their souls to the devil for hundreds of years for prosperity and just picking off people from the shitty part of town. <laughs> okay, I was finally like, this is something I can get behind. This is original. This is creative. I like this. Yeah. And the whole Sarah Fear story was so damn sad because I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of The Crucible. I'm a big fan of movies that explore that era so the whole you know witch hunt mentality really up just it gets to me mm -hmm. and i thought this did a good job of 
showcasing that. And I love that her, like with her last breath, she's like, I'm going to fuck your family up. <laughs> like she was very much like, this is not the end, bitch. Like that was, that was nice. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was, yeah. Like I said, um, I really enjoyed this one. If I had done this trilogy different, because admittedly, well, I enjoyed the one you did. What I did not enjoy, I'm probably on the same way with you, was reviewing these because it was kind of a bitch after the first one because I'm pretty much just reviewing the same storyline. Um, I would have just dropped what they did with part two and had 1666 be its own movie and then 1994 part two be its own movie. And I would have made these an hour and a fucking half. I don't know why each one would be right below two hours. Yeah, I don't know if they had some quota to hit. Uh, there's so much that could have been trimmed from these. And overall, yeah, not a, I'm not really a big fan of the franchise as, as a whole, but I did like the conclusion. Uh, but, you know, barring future exploration on the Filmgasm podcast, I doubt I'll go back to these of my own accord. Right. I mean, and I'm sure we honestly will go back because, you know, they did the classic all nine thing at the end, right? No, no Goosebumps grocery thing doesn't have a twist, right? And I'm sure if this is successful, then we'll be in our Fear Street downline. I know we're actually on the cusp of a Stein adaptation renaissance because I think I think it's Netflix. I forget who they are currently in the process of doing a new Goosebumps TV show. Um, Stein himself announced it, so that's happening. So we mm-hmm. might actually honestly be on a nice uphill swing with Stein work. So who knows? We might we might be back in Fear Street. I don't know if I can actually take another trilogy. I, I'm okay if they want to do like a standalone movie or even make it into a fucking series. Um, but we might be here again. Who knows? So what you're saying is viewer beware. We're in for a scare. Yes. Readers <laughs> don't beware because fuck those new Goosebumps covers. Yeah. I'd be down. I love this. I would love an adult Goosebumps, like a grown up Goosebumps with like gore and shit. Like that would be so crazy. Because you know that the people who care about that are our age. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it worked with Fear Street. So I don't see why it wouldn't work with Goosebumps. Yeah. yeah they haven't fully, it was announced this year. So it's not been fully detailed. Is this going to go the Fear Street round? They adulted, or is it going to stay within Kid Realm? I am fine with either way, personally. I don't care which way they want to go with it. But yeah, no, I'm with you. If they, it would be more awesome for me, obviously, if they went more adult. Because yeah, I mean, you're looking at people our age that grew up with it that, will probably be the most apt to watch it. But then at the same time, how many of our kids our ages are married with kids that want to get them into Goosebumps? And this new show, if they go a kid route, could do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I would love an R-rated haunted mask. That would be fucking stellar. Ah. Or say cheese and die. Sloppy mm. the dummy. <laughs> I would love if the Fear Street, like the book in like that gets stolen like leads to goosebumps that would be awesome what if they do like a was this actually like really just a stein universe that's being created they've set the the director of fear street said she wants to do that like she's planning like if she has her way she wants to do for horror what marvel did for superhero movies that would be badass especially with stein because he has fear street and he has, you know, a bunch of offshoots with that. There's like the Super Chiller Fear Street, New Fear, like a lot of different offshoots. And he also has Goosebumps, but he did also do a bunch of Goosebumps stuff. Like I think Goosebumps 2000 was a relaunch brand and different, a bunch of uh, Choose Your Own Advent. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like he had other shit. So like, I would be down for that. There was and that whole had, theme park thing, like Fearland or whatever it was. Yeah, he had that. That was like a run of books. And then even outside of those two properties, he did just standalone horror releases. So... 
I yeah, I'd be down for like a Stein horror fucking universe. That would be like honestly probably the best thing to happen to me since the MCU. As as a horror fan, like that grew up with this, I would. Oh, I need new pants. I'll put it that way. I would love if, like, the Goosebumps show opens with like whoever stole that fucking book, and they open it. They do an incantation, and like the G flies out of it, like in the original cartoon logo, and then like the theme song starts. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, dude. If they do whatever they do with this new show, I have two requests. You keep the theme song. And I hear, viewer beware, you're in for a scare. <laughs> I'm excited about this. I, I, I want to see this. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I don't know. They didn't, he didn't deliver a lot of details. He just confirmed that, yes, a new Goosebumps adaptation, not movie, show is in the works. It's being done. Well, here's hope. Yeah, that was this year. So, and this came out this year. So, who knows? It might, might just be a thing. Ooh. Uh, but you know, nostalgia isn't always a great thing. Sometimes oh, you end up with a steaming pile of movie, and that is Space Jam: A New Legacy, one that we both hated. But I feel like I really hated compared to you. <laughs> well, I I didn't take it like Warner Brothers was aiming a sniper rifle at me to fuck me up with a movie. I took it as, oh, I got to watch this. And I gave it the benefit of the doubt as I tried to give every movie. And there were moments that I liked, but overall, it's a very weak film. There wasn't even moments for me. I know. <laughs> Just to me, what pissed me off the most is that it tried to trick you into thinking it was a good movie by showing good movies. Like, you know... They're in the server verse, so we see clips of The Matrix, Austin Powers, It, uh, Clockwork Orange for some reason, King Kong, oh, The no Mask, reason. Batman, Harry Potter. So they tried to like trick us like, hey, look, there's Harry Potter. You like that, so you'll like Space Jam, right? Like they did that to us. Fucking Rick and Morty are in this movie. Oh, it, it bugged. Oh, God. Okay. All right. All right. This these references book the living show makes we all know about the controversy that happened with Pepe Le Pew, right? Everyone's fucking aware of that shit because they made such a huge show about it. But this film is filled with references that not a single fucking kid at the age of five who's a goddamn target fucking audience is going to get. So why the fuck couldn't Pepe just stay? Game of Thrones, which has so much rape, is in this movie. Yeah, I can't wait to show my future five-year-old Game of Thrones and then just come off before season eight happens because God bless we do that soon. Fucking like oh God, these fucking they they sat there and they shoved all these references and like you said in yours, they ripped off Ready Player One and like the whole shared universe thing and I hope that that would fucking stick and like that I'm like that's not what I want. I want a fucking Space Jam movie. This movie reeks of LeBron James vanity projects to get something out there beyond his basketball career, which isn't slouching by any means. So he can have, so have a movie and he can be like Michael Jordan. But guess what, LeBron? I said in my video, I'm saying it now. Michael Jordan's a better person and basketball player. Fuck you, LeBron James. I don't know about person, but I'll go with basketball player. Jordan's kind of a dick too. Um, (laughs) They're athletes. Athletes are assholes. It's like, a proven fact since the beginning of sports. 
But I feel like all this did for LeBron was bring Michael Jordan back into the conversation and have people keep saying like, no, Jordan's movie was better. What the fuck are you doing? I saw a lot of memes of Harry Potter yelling, how dare you stand where he stood <laughs> from the final movie. A lot of that. I don't, I do not blame them. Dear, like, ah, oh, this movie, man. And it, it does so hard. It tries so fucking hard to actively not be a sequel. I've never witnessed a movie in my life try so hard to not be a sequel. They put fucking cameos of the Monstars in there. And all I could think every time someone was like, why didn't you just use them as the villains? You easily could have had it be like they were so little peeved and they wanted to get, get revenge or something. You could have done something with that, but you didn't because you tried so fucking hard to not associate with the original Space Jam. And then the whole, don't even, oh, the fucking stupid Michael Jordan reference. What an insult to Michael B. Jordan, who's a good goddamn actor. And those who are at least hoping to get a cameo. Fuck you, movie. Fuck you with a goddamn 60-inch pole. Fuck, man. Wow. See, that was the one part I loved. I fucking hated it. I got so mad. I thought that was so clever. I I, I called it halfway through this. I'm like, it's Michael B. Jordan, isn't it? But then it happened. I was like, that's funny. I thought that was cool. Like a way to get Michael Jordan in the movie, technically. And I love that they're all like, who the hell is this? That's not Michael Jordan. And even he's like, hey, LeBron, happy to be here. That was funny. I, I like uh, that. I'm glad you liked it. I hated it. I fucking hate it. It just made me think like this could have been a great little fucking Michael Jordan cameo real quick, but no, I don't get that. I hated that. I hated the animation style. Looney Tunes yeah. has been to this day, still does 2D animation to this fucking day. They have a new show. I looked it up. It's on HBO Max. It came out this year. 2D animation. I got so mad when they got changed to that god awful 3D bullshit. And I'm like, no, this isn't the Looney Tunes. This is not the fucking Looney. They're, they're 2D hijinks. This is what you need to do is 2D hijinks, not 3D. Not with the Looney Tunes. Also, they were sidelined. Why the fuck are they sidelined? I feel, I feel like they're really in the goddamn movie. Yeah. I think it's weird to include so many references to things that children shouldn't be watching. Like, there's a very large Austin Powers bit in this movie. Like, a good two or three minutes uh, you got Pennywise the clown in the audience watching the game. That's going to scare the shit out of some kids. But again, that's in there, but they made such a big deal about protecting the kids from Pepe Le Pew and making Lola's skirt cover her midriff because I guess the, the guy who watched this one got sexually aroused and didn't want to fucking admit it. So, like, that became a big deal, but yeah, it's fine. You can put the guys in Clockwork Orange that raped. All right. The whole Lola Bunny thing, yeah, she should be much less sexualized. She's a cartoon, and this is for children. I thought it was weird how many people went to, to bat for it and was like, no, why is Lola not hot anymore? Like, that was creepy as hell. Yeah, don't think I'm not saying, like, she should be hot. I'm just saying, like, the fact that they made such a big deal about little things like that, but then turn around and put, like, a Clockwork Orange guys in there, and I'm like, you're saying one thing, but putting, like you said, putting characters in here, references to things that kids aren't going to be watching and should not be watching. Even if it's something like The Matrix, not the most offensive thing to show a child. You think a child's going to enjoy The Matrix and watch the fucking Matrix? I did, but yeah, probably not. Not your average, not a fucking five-year-old, though we have bored out their goddamn mind. So again, the target audience for children for a Space Jam movie 
isn't exactly that old. Yeah, it's weird. And also, if you're going to include, like, you know, Batman and Harry Potter, but never do anything with it, that's annoying. Like, put fucking Batman on the team. Why not? Like, you can. Or, no, instead they just made the same fucking animations. The, pay attention. They make the same animation movements. Or, I'm sorry, if it's Veractos, they're doing the same movements throughout the whole fucking movie. Yeah, they didn't have the money. Yeah, they had no money, apparently, to even attempt to make them actually do different stuff. Yeah, you got the Night King on the fucking sidelines. You got Jack Nicholson's Joker. You got <coughs> Catwoman, Penguin, Agents from the Matrix, King Kong. But nobody, it, there's no point to it. They're just there for eye candy. Like, it's 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 lazy. It's so lazy. And then they try to make jokes, too. Like, what was it? Don Cheadle made the King Kong ain't got nothing on me joke. All things like, I get it. But again, kids are watching this fucking movie. I'm not saying Space Jam, the first one, they didn't get away with some adult references. I know they had the whole, like, Pulp Fiction reference. But the original one doesn't rely on adult references. They are there, yes, to obviously give the parents something to laugh at. But there's still plenty of shit for kids to enjoy. Whereas this one did not feel like that at all. Does this even exist in the same universe as Space Jam? Because in Space Jam, like, they live at the center of the Earth, and now they're in a computer. I I don't know. Again, this movie tries so hard to not be a sequel. That's why I say it just felt like a huge-ass Banshee project and a huge fuck you to the fans of the original. I think that's why I got so mad. It just felt like they were saying fuck you for, like, in the original movie. Well, regrettably, it it beat Black Widow at the box office this weekend. God. So we're probably getting a third movie, and they have been... They're considering Dwayne Johnson. He, oh, he <laughs> Who is even a fucking basketball player? You know, it's funny. If you look up like the various sequels they were talking about when Station first came out, a lot of them sound good. Like there was a skate chain with Tony Hawk. That probably would have been interesting. But of course, none of those happened. We got this fucking, this one that I was, I've never actively hoped for a film in my life more than this one to bomb at the box office. And the fact that it's even remotely successful makes me angry. What I want to know is how the hell, like, why the hell did a recent Emmy-nominated actor, Don Cheadle, do this? Like, why is he here? He's so much better than this. He does not need this. He doesn't, but I'll tell you this. He's the only reason this film did not get a big whopping zero from me. Yeah, he's not bad. I hate his whole, like, name, but he is the only one that seems to understand the movie and is trying Weird that they took the angle of LeBron James as a bad father. <laughs> that, yeah, that was so annoying. God, like that. If my kids don't play basketball, I'm never talking to them again. Like, how dare you have interest outside of mine? Yeah, how dare you have interest? And look like you're doing a pretty good job with the video game thing to begin with. And also, Bugs Bunny's pointless sacrifice. Like, why bother doing that if it's not going to mean anything? Hmm. <sighs> I had a lot of issues. I get to a point where, like, I think halfway through, I just started disconnecting from the movie. I just sat here bored and hate hated. I was just hating what I was watching. I was like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Hands down, I'm saying it right now. As of now, probably the worst film I've sat through this year. No, that still hasn't happened to me. No, wait. Yeah, it has. Just not with this movie. Let me look that up. I'm curious. What is the worst movie I've seen this year? Let's look. Um... It would have come up on this show, that's for sure. Uh, no, those were good, good, good. Oh. 
Why are you looking that up? And was I'm the only one? Am I the one that got mad that at no point did I hear the Space Jam theme song? The song literally mm-hmm. made for the first movie that should have easily been played in this one because it's a fucking theme song. Like, yeah, that was weird. Again, why are we so tr- trying so hard to actively not be a fucking sequel? <laughs> uh, okay, so looking at my list so far, worst movie I've seen this year is probably Separation. Okay, I haven't sat it down yet. But it is early yet. It's still July. We got a lot of movies left. I know, but God, I really hope nothing gets worse than this. I, I gave it a five. I thought that was generous. I did give it some point. You know, I, I took away some points for basically like betraying the memory of a film that's sh- way better than it should be. The original Space Jam. And um, had a pretty strong following. Yeah, this was a shameless cash grab of just including everything Warner Brothers owns. Um, I don't really know why. It's a giant steaming pile of corporate trademarks for the most part. There's not really a a story here, and the film knows that. They know that we don't have to have a story if we have enough, you know, if we can distract the audience with enough Batman shit and Game of Thrones shit. Yeah, I gave it a two. I despise the living shit out of this movie. But hey, you never have to watch it again. I don't. I don't plan to, unless of course we end up doing it on our upcoming show. I'll just have a really good memory. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh boy! Well, welcome to the jam. This no, was shit. <laughs> really, stay away from this one. Apparently, you're all taking your kids to go see this fucking travesty of a movie. I went to see when I went to see the pig, I was in line for concessions and there was a little girl next to me, uh, like really excited about the Space Jam commercial that came on the big TV. And she's like, Mommy, Mommy, there's new Space Jam. There's a new Space Jam. And I'm like, You're the problem. <laughs> I want to get in the kids' face, but like, You're the problem. But then they would have thrown me up. <laughs> I, I was not, I remember I saw it barely cracked like 200,000 on the day it opened. I was like, Ah, good, good. Good. Let let them know. And then I saw it the next time I went, fuck all of you. Well, Warner Brothers doesn't get to beat Marvel very often. So they're excited. Yeah, but even then, like they're getting excited, but it's still like a hundred million below its like budget on its box office take. Let it rot. So hopefully, yeah, it just continues to rot. Well, Space Jam, a new legacy. We'll probably get a sequel because that's how this that's how the world works these days. Uh, now to the main event, the film we were arguably most excited about this week, Pig. Pig was written and directed by Michael Sarnowski. This is his first film as a director. He's previously directed three short films as well as episodes of Fight Night Legacy and Olympia, two shows I've never fucking heard of. Uh, this film should hopefully start a promising career for him. I think as a director, this was this was well. I don't know, well-directed? I don't know. <laughs> well-directed, well-written. I know you uh, didn't quite catch on to Pig the way I did. It happens. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> really, like everyone else did, because this is getting rave reviews. So, unfortunately, here I am again, another party film, and I am on a fucking island, as is tradition, with these fucking films with me. 
Uh, I just let it be known. I did not hate this movie. I probably won't like go on my way to watch it again. Um, I did think it like it got its point across about being like a, a theme of grief and how to move on. Um, I thought that was handled very well. And I thought I do agree with the people who are raving about Cage's performance. He is phenomenal in this movie. Like, and it's like some of the most nuanced acting I've seen him do in years. In years. Um, so he's absolutely stellar. I just thought, like, aside from a few like pretty captivating scenes, usually involving when he's actually talking and acting, um, I wasn't super invested. Like, I did not get invested enough in the pig relationship between him and the pig relationship to really care all the way, unfortunately. That's sad. Um, yeah, I really tried. I think it's just because they don't give you a lot of information. Um, I'm not saying I need a lot, but there just wasn't a lot given. Like, they never really say anything about his wife, fully actually say anything until, like, towards the end. And then you just, you're just like, no, because he gets that tape and you go, oh, okay, he lost his wife. Um, well, th- that was kind of clear. Like, from the, the tape, he wouldn't listen to it. Like, it was clear he, he lost someone. Yeah, I'm not saying it wasn't clear. Like all he had left, you know. Yeah, I'm not saying it wasn't clear. It's just like a lot of stuff is not fully said until like the towards the end, and then at that point, I'm like, all right, end your movie. Well, it's not fully said because it's a film that kind of expects you to connect the dots yourself, and and I did. I did too. I just didn't get into it as much. <laughs> well, uh, the time has come. Three podcasts, 150 episodes of Filmgasm, 60 episodes of Oscar Sunday, 20, 28, 29, 30, I don't know, no, episodes of the sneak preview. This is the first time we are fully diving in to the man, the myth, the legend, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I am surprised we, uh, we've taken so long. I don't know why. I don't know why. Like we, when we did the Coen Brothers spotlight on uh, Filmgasm, we briefly touched on Cage when we talked about Raising Arizona. But that's it. That's as far as we've gone. We've never done any of his films. I, I don't know why. We just, it just never happened. So it's just like even. I mean, his early stuff is right for any of our podcasts. His newer stuff because he's been doing a lot of like indie horror stuff. Mm-hmm. Is this right? But somehow. Yeah. Oh, and I did uh, briefly talk about Willy's Wonderland on an early sneak preview. But again, wasn't a focus, so didn't really get to talk about the guy that much. Mm. But here we are. Got goosebumps. We're looking forward to this for, for a long time. Uh-huh. Time for a cage match. Let's do this. Uh- <laughs> cage. <laughs> Academy Award winner, Nicolas Cage. Yeah, we forget, but guy deserves our respect, goddammit. He stars as former renowned chef Robin Feld. Cage won his performance for uh, won his Oscar for his performance in 1995's *Leaving Las Vegas*. Was also nominated for his performance in 2002's *Adaptation*. Uh, he's a bit of a divisive figure in Hollywood these days, with some calling him a has been, and others saying he's in the best stage of his career. Really depends on who you talk to. Uh, instead of going through everything he's done, I figured it'd be fun if we just highlighted some favorites. Uh, Sounds good to me. Nick the King. Early, earliest one I got off the bat, Con Air. Fucking love Con Air. Cameron Poe. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I was like, I think that was actually the first Cage movie I ever watched. And it was on TV, so that's how I got away with it. It was edited. But I fell in love with that movie. He is fucking great with his shitty southern accent. And I love it. 
put the bunny back in the box. Oh, it's it's terrible, but it's him. There's something about him that he can do any fucking horrible voice he he has to do, and I'm I'm sold. Yeah, well, he commit, and this is something that like before we get into more movies, just right off the bat, like I am firmly. You said you know he's divisive, right? I am firmly. I think you are too. I think you all are. And the camera, I think he's in the best stage of his career because people go like, oh, he's a husband. Oh, he's not that good of an actor. I'm like, no, he's a great actor. You're mistaking the shitty films he did for bad acting. But even those shitty films, he committed. Even in Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, oh. he committed. Like, this man has never given uh, a paycheck performance. He always gives it his all. Every time. I absolutely fucking respect for that. Well, I think that it's I think it's good for him that he's actually like broken free of Hollywood. I think that the expectations that were put on him were ridiculous. I think that Hollywood wasn't a good place for him artistically. And yeah, he had to, you know, pay off those, <coughs> pay off those islands and those bad uh, accountant issues with those with a lot of shitty pay, uh, paycheck movies for a few years. But I think uh Mandy was the ultimate turnaround for him where he finally started being more choosy about his projects. And I think since then we've gotten just gold. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited. I've, I've loved this guy his, his whole career since I was, a, since I've, ever since I saw national treasure at the movies when I was a kid. And he's just one of those guys who I will always defend. Yeah. Same. I, I've, I've defended him so many times. Um, for me, there was actually like, there was actual lead up to Mandy. Cause I remember when I saw this movie called mom and dad, he did. Oh yeah, it was like it did get right. It was like man, it did not get right. Release was a little bit more indie, and I remember here, a lot of people were like, "Oh, dude, you gotta see this. This is like the perfect movie from Cage." And I watched it. It was a really good movie, and it was absolutely his type of film to do. And he was great, and I loved him in it. And that's I think when I started noticing that maybe, just maybe, Cage is back. Like as far as like getting better movies, and so I remember that's when I started repaying attention. And then, yeah, I was hearing about that when Manny was going, I was hearing about it. I was talking about how great he was in it and, like, this is his comeback movie. And, yeah, I remember when I watched that, I fell in love with that movie. And he is spectacular. I will always, if someone says he's a shitty actor, fuck you. Watch that bathroom scene in Mandy. That is a one-take scene. And the emotions he pulls off in that one fucking take is amazing. I um, I regret to say I have yet to see his two Oscar nominations. I leaving Las Vegas and adaptation. I own both of them on DVD. I just haven't sat down and watched them. Actually, because of pig, I'm looking forward to just diving into cage movies. I'm going to try to finish up as much of his resume as I can get a hold of. Cause I really just, I'm tired of saying I haven't seen that one when it comes to cage. He's a guy I'm defending. I should see all of his work. Yeah. So we're going to do that. And by we, I mean the Royal we as in myself. <laughs> um, some of my all-time favorites, you know, you go to the classics. Face Off is a fucking flawless action thriller. So, I always love to quote Face Off. Like, Cage just realized what the title of the fucking movie was. <laughs> no more drugs for that man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. that I love the, the dual role. Him and Travolta are so good together, playing both sides of, you know, good and bad there. Uh that's a fun movie. I love Face Off. Face Off is great. <laughs> um, and then, of course, The Rock. Cage and Connery versus Ed Harris. Are you fucking kidding me? 
Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. <laughs> I love that movie. Why don't we cut the chit chat a hole? He's insane. <laughs> he's awesome. That, but the stupidest fucking name though. Like, what was it Goodspeed or Godspeed? Whatever the fuck his name Stan- was. Stanley Goodspeed. Yeah, that's his name. But I love watching that movie with the theory that Sean Connery is actually playing a disgraced James Bond who's been abandoned by MI6. It actually works really well. That's awesome. I think I wrote uh, in that, that scene where he, uh, I think it was Sean Connery or Cage was hanging off the building and he's holding on to him. Remember shortly after Sean Connery breaks out? I think I read that they didn't tell anyone in the building that that was happening. And all they saw was it was Nicholas Cage dangling, right? No, it was uh, Connery uh, grabbed one of the Secret Service guys who was watching him and dangled him off the building. Okay, yeah, they didn't tell people in the building that that was happening, so they legit thought someone was about to fucking get thrown off the building. Wow, <laughs> that's that's fantastic. Oh man, um. One of my all-time favorites, Raising Arizona, of course, is probably my my favorite, absolutely. I mean, nobody beats H.I. McDonough. But uh, there was a film he did in 2009 called Knowing that really freaked me out. I thought it was one of the creepiest apocalypse movies I've ever seen. And I really liked Cage's performance in that movie. Uh, it's actually, it's a hard movie to watch for me because it really goes like, <coughs> my skin. I don't know why. It's something so realistic about that film. Got maybe the freakiest plane crash sequence in film history. I haven't. I've seen it once. My aunt had the DVD and I watched it. So I was like, "Oh my god, Cage movie!" Like I think that's literally where my train of thought went. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, "I'm gonna watch this one," and <laughs> I remember liking it. I just haven't seen it since then. It's a really good watch. It was on Netflix for a while. I don't know if it is anymore, but it's a really creepy watch. Uh, it's got Rose Byrne, Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, pretty good cast. Okay. And of course, Cage. Ah, of course. And his son's name in the movie is Caleb. So there you go. I remember that. Yeah, I remember when I first saw it. I was like, oh, shit. It's Caleb. Uh, I'm a big fan of the National Treasure movies with Cage. Oh, fuck yeah. I was like, let's not forget those National Treasure 1 and 2. Why do you think I'm such a history buff? Those <laughs> movies are the reason. <laughs> I saw National Treasure when I was uh, nine and thought, I want my entire life to be about this movies ah. and history. <laughs> and I was like, there it is. That's Connor for the rest of his life. <laughs> I'm one of the people that like, I'm so like would get really excited if they did a, uh, a third one with Nicholas Cage. They could bring him back for a third one because they've been talking talk about it for years. I'd be fucking down. I do not want to leave this planet without finding out what's on page 47. I need to know. I've been thinking about that shit since 2007. I need to know. <laughs> you don't tease that shit and never give it to me. Oh, God damn it. Yeah, I love both National Treasure movies, and I've been really campaigning for a third ever since. They keep teasing us, man. It's so annoying. With Disney Plus, you know, you'd think this would be the time. And I don't want no fucking reboot. I want Nick Cage and Diane Kruger and the Bartha, Just, Justin Bartha, is that his name? I think so. Something like that. He was in The Hangover. Yeah. Yeah. That guy. I could, I could honestly, I could do without John Voight, but if he wants to be there, great. But yeah, I want that crew finding some yeah. other treasure nationally. I don't, I never understood why we never got there. The second one was a success. 
remember it being yeah. a big hit. So I never understood why a third one just never got off the ground. I think it happened around the time Cage's uh, financial issues happened and he started becoming kind of a pariah because of it. Oh, That's probably why. Big studios are reluctant to work with him now. Which, and this it really bugs me because you're seeing the praise he's getting now. And yet the series are still like, no, it's Cage. We're not going to hire him. Like, why? He's clearly doing like what you want him to do now. But weirdly, three years later, he did The Sorcerer's Apprentice with Disney again. So maybe that's not it. I don't know. I do remember seeing I remember liking that movie the one time I watched it. I need to rewatch it. It's... It's not great. I'm I'm not that into the Sorcerer's Apprentice. It's very popcorny. It I I watched it with the family, so it was a while. So I'd have to watch it again. But it may not. I mean, I only saw it once. It may not hold up. Uh, you know, it does hold up. Matchstick Men from 2005. That's one I haven't seen yet. I've been meaning to watch that. I heard it's really good in that. Or 2003, my mistake. It's him and Sam Rockwell as professional con artists. I mean, directed by Ridley Scott. What more do you need? Oh, yeah, I need to see that then. It's a there fun one. There was no one I watched in my aunt's. She had, she had Knowing and what was it? Uh, the Family Man. He plays a weather uh, guy. I remember watching that. I remember thinking it was good, but again, I have not seen that fucking movie in years. That's one I haven't seen, The Family Man. Um, I've, heard, I've heard decent things. Um, Bad Lieutenant. That's an interesting one. I've been meaning to check that out because I've I've seen I know it's not a sequel but I've seen the original by Lieutenant Robbie Keitel. I was like, if anyone could do this type of role, it's gotten him Nicholas Cage. It's gotten zero connection to the first one. It just takes the title. Yeah, I heard it's just Warner Herzog who directed it. Yeah, I think yeah, I think he just took the title and that was it. It's a it's a fun movie. I mean, he's a complete piece of shit, but you know, you're that's expected. Yeah. You know what uh, project got canceled? This isn't one we're getting, unfortunately. I got to mention real quick. That makes me sad because I was really excited at the idea of this. He is no longer, ladies and gentlemen, giving us his take on Joe Exotic. Oh, yeah. I heard. It's no longer a thing. I am so pissed off that we have missed our moment to see that man play Joe Exotic. (laughs) Because I wanted nothing more in my life than that when I heard it was announced. <laughs> yeah, that's a shame. I don't know. Maybe he did a movie with a pig and thought, now I can't I can't do a movie with a tiger now. That's not right. I don't know. Well, apparently Prime he just he's it. a weird thinking process. He probably did think that. Probably. Well, I heard he said Prime shelved it. Like, they're just not doing it at all. Ah, fuck. It's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, you ever seen Gone in 60 Seconds? Yeah, I don't care what people say. That's a fun fucking movie. <laughs> that movie has one of my favorite Nicolas Cage moments ever. And it's what, right before the heist, he has to put on War's Lowrider to get psyched up. <laughs> and he's like, he listens to the opening like beat and he's like, all right, let's ride. <laughs> God, what a dork. <laughs> what a fucking man. That's, That's a fun I'm movie. Like I agree. Yeah, I think one of my favorite Cage moments was actually in Face Off when he does a weird face when he's dressed like a priest. (laughs) What do you say? Like, I don't really care for the Bible. In fact, I think it's fucking boring. (laughs) God, ridiculous human being, but I I love it. Um, I finally watched Moonstruck 
uh, a while back. And I was surprised at how funny that movie is. He plays a one-armed Greek, like, baker or something who's, like, super jealous of his brother's, like, gorgeous wife and success. And then his brother's wife, Cher, falls in love with him. Mm-hmm. And or they, she, he falls in love with her. And it's a whole love thing. But it's really funny and really cute and still holds up. Okay. Uh, I really enjoyed I actually saw this recently because I was bored one day. Really liked him in Kick-Ass. I forgot how good he was in the first Kick-Ass. Big Daddy. The whole like the whole scene when he's like strapped to the chair when he's like dying and he's yelling everything to her to do is a really good fucking scene. Again, showing you how good of an actor he is. It yeah, it's odd. And that's one of the few times he's been part of an ensemble. He's usually like the only like the star of the movie. He's rarely done that. So he must have really yeah. believed in that script. Good, because he was he was awesome. To the right. Like how he just does that. <laughs> One of the strangest performances I've ever seen from him is Vampire's Kiss. I'm a vampire. Uh, I'm a vampire. That movie is so bad, <laughs> but he commits. And he's got the whole time, he's got this like upper crust thing in his voice. He kind of talks like this, like he's better than you. <laughs> and it's, it's obnoxious as shit. But then he, you add crazy man who thinks he's a vampire to that voice and you've got something that's become a cult favorite. It's why well, I mean he's a horrible human being in that movie. He straight up rapes his secretary. Jesus so, Christ. It's not he's no hero. He's a he's a maniac. Yeah. But it, it's got some of his greatest like lines ever that one face of his has become a meme. I'll say it's definitely his most memed movie I've noticed. That's um, the movie where he screams the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> A, B, C, D, E, F, J. Like he does the whole thing because his secretary misfiled something. <laughs> it's really weird. Oh, Cage, I love you. Um, <laughs> have you ever seen this little movie he did? Actually, I can, it's kind of like his first, like, to me, it was like the start of his comeback on the indie scene. But this little movie called Joe. I have not gotten to see Joe yet. Oh, my God. He is phenomenal in that movie. I, I watched that on a whim one day because I was like, I kept hearing, I was like, let me give it a shot. It was on Prime for a long time. And yeah, he is so fucking good in that movie. So fucking good. One of the, I watched one of his early roles. Uh, it was a movie my mom had been wanting me to watch for years. And I finally sat down and watched it with her. It's called Peggy Sue Got Married. Uh, stars Kathleen Turner as a middle-aged woman named Peggy Sue, who's married to Nicolas Cage, who's like a famous appliance salesman in town who's constantly cheating on her and they were high school sweethearts and they're falling out of love they're getting divorced she goes to her high school reunion passes out wakes up it's 1950 and she's in high school and so she has a chance to redo some stuff uh it's early jim carrey as well he's in it um nicholas cage plays her like you know greaser boyfriend and now she's kathleen turner with like years of experience and she tries to hook up with him and he's like oh well, wait i'm not ready for this like it's 50s nick cage being like well wait hold on peggy sue it's, it's, really, it's really funny it's, it's pretty good he, he does a really good job <laughs> i think we can all agree that the best film that he's ever done of all time is the exceptional Wicker Man 
remake. <laughs> you really thought I was going to say a good movie, didn't you, there for a second? <laughs> I barely remember that, and I watched it with you. I remember watching it, but I don't remember the movie at all. <laughs> How did I sell you on that? I think I told you, like, this movie is just so... I, I remember I sold you on watching it somehow. It wasn't a lie, though. I think I told you it was bad. Yeah, we both were ready for that to suck, but we were curious. And I think yeah. that's, that's why we watched it. We were like, let's do this for the website. That's how we justified watching a lot of shitty movies. We were like, let's do it for the site. <laughs> we sat through that. And I got to watch this man in a bear suit punch a woman. And it's way further than it has any right to be. Dude, nothing beats the fucking bees. Like, that is a magical <laughs> moment. Ah, ah, ah. It's so half-assed, even by his standards. It's uh, he commits multiple punching a woman because you get that scene where like the camera looks at him and he nods like I know what I have to do, <laughs> and he just fucking runs in a parachute and punches and then keeps going. <laughs> ah, much like Barrel Burr, it's just a joke, lady. So. Calm down. Dude, anybody getting punched by somebody in a bear costume is hilarious, regardless of gender or age. If he punched a child, it would have been even funnier. Is <laughs> it be like, mommy, mommy, look at the bear. <laughs> oh, good time. I watched, uh, I haven't watched a lot of his output in the past, like, like between like 2010 to 2017, because that's kind of the dark years of just nonstop shit. But I did watch this one movie called Seeking Justice from 2011 that wasn't bad. It was, it was I mean, it, was, it wasn't great, but it, was, it wasn't bad. Uh, guy Pierce was the bad guy. So that's something. Uh, he plays like a mild-mannered dude whose wife is uh, um, raped by criminals. So he uh, is approached by this firm that offers like vengeance to people who've been wronged in exchange for a favor one day. And so he's like, yeah, kill these bastards. And he, get, he gives them the okay. They find the guy, they kill the guy. And then like five years later, they hit him up like, hey, you owe us, so take care of this. But he doesn't want to do it. And they're like, well, we're going to wreck your life till you do it. It was an interesting movie. Okay. Russell, that I'm also not familiar with that year because I kind of, that's where I was like, all right, Cage, I'm defending you, but God, you're picking some terrible movies for me to have to sit through the Oh, dude, he made it really hard to be on his side for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, I didn't, like I said, I didn't get on board. I didn't get on board when Joe came out and that kind of signified that, okay, Cage might be back to being a little more selective about his work. I don't, it literally wasn't until mom and dad. And then I went back and watched it. I was like, oh, okay, I should have watched this because I would say since Joe, I've been back on board of like, I really try to watch the new shit he comes out with because he's back to picking me selective and giving those good performances that I really enjoy out of him. And, you know, to his credit, he's, he still does the rage case stuff, which is still always fun. Just now it's usually in a more justified setting than just doing it to do it. There's a scene in pig where he steals a bike and roars <laughs> at a guy. And I, I had to stifle myself because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I, luckily i didn't because my whole theater started laughing like the people i watched it with we all just started laughing on that oh, just walking away with a bike pure cage oh my god um pre-pandemic I, i'm hoping this happens again in the near future uh 
they used to do a cage uh, cageathon at the Alamo Draft House in Austin, uh, and Nicholas Cage himself curated it. He, he picked five movies of his own catalog and hosted Cageathon and did a Q&A with fans and everything. And it was so cool. And I've, I've always wanted to do that. And then right when I found out about it, the fucking pandemic happened. So oh, that would be so cool. I hope you pick something like, uh, like Mandy would be cool to watch with him in attendance. That was one he did. He, um, the one I, I found out, he, uh, it was Mandy, uh, Lord of War, uh, and a, a few other movies. Uh, I don't remember the other ones, but I know that those two were there. Uh, Army of One might have been one of the films. That's an oddball film. Okay. I was going to say, Mandy alone has two of my favorite scenes ever in his entire career. The bathroom scene I mentioned earlier, that's yeah. just fucking acting. As far as I'm concerned, that's fucking acting. But also, the scene when he goes to that uh, the biker gang's den, after he kills them, he takes the super acid and you see his face as he is tripping balls in an instant. It's pretty like that's like in that moment, I was like, there's a classic cage. There he is. <laughs> Mandy was I was not prepared for that when I watched that movie. I'm like, what is this? I mean, I liked it, but fuck, was that just not what I expected? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's I remember like it's funny because I've I've told people about that movie and they're like, well, should I watch it? I was like, I honestly, no. I was like, unless you're ready, don't watch that movie. I was like, Cage is fucking phenomenal in this movie. And if you can get past like the trippy visuals, you will be rewarded with like a great performance and a really good story and some really killer moments. You just have to get through the, the cinematography of the, co- the color swapping and the weird talking when they're super high and also a uh, knife penis. Um, Right band at name. one point and i'm not yeah you heard me right fans it's knife knife penis it's, it's exact don't don't overthink it it's exactly where you think it is so it, yeah it's i that's actually become my thing honestly one of my top five it's cage films it has snuck up there so quick since i've seen it i'm gonna see if i can find out those other films that year nicholas cageathon 2018 oh boy um no, that's not helpful. Anyway, um, yeah, I can't find him. I think the I think Con Air was one of them. That'd be awesome. Um, I'd, ask, I'd ask about that accent. Like, what made you choose that accent for the South? <laughs> oh my God, Army of One is one I think you should seek out. It's the true story of a man who claims that God commanded him to go to Pakistan and kill Osama bin Laden, and this is in like two thousand eight. Um. So Cage plays the guy. Russell Brand is God. <laughs> and this guy basically just went to Pakistan with a fucking samurai sword and started asking around, like, where can I find Bin Laden? Do you know where he is? <laughs> he had no military experience. He didn't know how to fight. Nothing. He just had a dream where God said, you, Gary Faulkner, must go kill Bin Laden. And they made a movie about this guy called Army of One. And at the end of the movie... Gary Faulkner, the character, is talking about like, they've approached me for a movie, and you know who I'd really love to play me is that Nick Cage. I really like that movie, Con Air. So it's Nicolas Cage saying, as Gary Faulkner, I'd love Nicolas Cage to play me one day. Oh my god. It was so meta, it was insane. That reminds me of that scene at the the Disaster Artist when James Franco is meeting Tommy Wiseau, but James Franco is playing Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. (laughs) 
I love that meta shoe. Uh, anyway, at this cageathon, I think it's a good way to transition to pig. During the Q and A, some guy asked Nicholas Cage, "So, sir, M Mr. Cage, sir, I don't know how he said it, but that's how what I would say. I'd be too nervous to say anything to this guy. Um, what do you say? In the presence of a god? Yes, you have to be. Yeah. Avert thine eyes, children." Chromegasm <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> loves Cage. We highly endorse Cage. Yes, yes, we do. Um. He asked him, uh, so what do you say to all the haters out there who say that your, your films aren't that good, that you're, you're not that good anymore? And Cage did a little smile, put down his drink, breathed heavily, and said, you just don't know what you're missing. <laughs> and the crowd erupted into applause. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> I love that. You just don't know what you're missing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I think, what I, uh, I, I kind of like about him is that you can tell with him doing this, um, this more indie stuff, he, it's almost like he's realized, yeah, Hollywood isn't working for me, but I, there's an audience there. Like, he knows that he has a humongous cult following of people who are just like us, die hard, love him, and can see through the shitty films he did in that period of time and trying to pay off his debt. See that, no, there's still a fucking phenomenal actor here. And someone that will always give his 110% in whatever he does. And he knows that and he's playing to that. And it's been really rewarding us big time in recent years, in my opinion. Straight up. Yeah. It's good to have that realization of, you know, I don't need Hollywood. I can still be an actor and do my own thing and still, you know, he has a fan base. And I'm glad that, you know, people like us have remained loyal to his performances. And yeah, I'm, I always look forward to Nicolas Cage movies. Yeah, and apparently he's great to work with. So, like, that, thank God he's so I've heard a lot of good things about people we've worked with on. They're like, no, he's fine to work with. He's an oddball, that's for sure. But I bet he's apparently a fascinating he person to talk to. Yeah. Like I said, from what I know, no one has any issues. A lot of directors, like uh, Panos Cosmatos, has talked highly about Cage when it came to Manny. Says that um, apparently Cage originally went out for the villain role in that movie. If you didn't know that, he originally went for that role. But, or no, no, I'm sorry. They wanted him for that role. That's what they wanted him for. They were like, oh, we wrote it with Cage in mind. When he got the script, it was short off his uh, third, fourth divorce or whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, and he was like, hey, look, there's some stuff going on personally that I really identify with this main character. He's like, I really want to play Red. So he was the reason we actually got that performance because he really pushed to play that role. And once he auditioned, they were like, well, go ahead and do like an audition and, you know, we'll see. And they did and blew them away and they went, yeah, you're, you're getting the red character. Jesus Christ. One, two, three, four divorces. He's currently married. He got married in February. His, his fourth marriage lasted two March, April, two months. Man. <laughs> He was married to Patricia Arquette for six years. I didn't know that. Damn. So, yeah. But, yeah, apparently he used a lot of that in his role in his performance for Mandy. That makes sense. I mean, that movie's all about, you know, I feel like Mandy and Pig would be a great double feature when, you know, considering, like, they both deal with grief in very different ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, apparently, you know, 
great to work with. He he does his homework, does his notes. He's a fine actor. Um, apparently he has his own acting style. He likes to talk about. Yeah, he invented his own acting style. But you know, all right, Cage, you do you, buddy. He did one of those GQ uh, like iconic characters videos talking about his whole career. It was fascinating listening to him kind of reminisce about like he did like raising Arizona all the way to Mandy. And it was just, I mean, he skipped a few movies, but he did a lot of, talked about most of his hits and it was really, it was fascinating. That'd be Uh, cool. You know what, you know what dream director I wish he would work with, but we only have one shot at this because it's going to be the final film. Tarantino. How cool would it be? You know, Tarantino could get like a whole of a performance on a mainstream Hollywood feature with him. If Dude. he was inclined to go back there to that realm, the Tarantino touch has been seen. You know, he, John Travolta, Christoph Waltz, Robert Forster, like he, he props these, you know, actors up and gives them a, their career new breath. I would love if his final film was The Cage Revival. Goddamn. I would, oh, that, I mean, he'll even Don Johnson, since he's been with Tarantino, has had like a research and some shit. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'd argue, you know, Jamie Foxx had a bit of a boost. Yeah. yeah, I would too. So yeah, that that would be a fucking train director for Cage. I think for us to see, really, not necessarily for Cage, but for us to see, I would, I would be, I would be down to see that. I mean, he had that brief bit in the Grindhouse trailers where he played Fu Manchu. That's, that's oh yeah, got that. <laughs> but I think we did get that, and I think that was. Which fucking director was that that did that? Was it Rob Zombie? Was that the real woman of the SS? I have no I idea. I'll <laughs> say we did, but he actually was one of the directors that did that fucking trailer. Yeah. Oh, it, it could happen. I feel like, you know, in recent years, I think a lot of directors, a lot of, you know, filmmakers are t- taking another look at him. Like Mandy, Color Out of Space, Pig, these were big for his uh, rep. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, yeah I, th- I think it'll work. I think it will. That was the one I forgot. I actually, I personally really like Color Out of Space. And I love the scene when he's like throwing the dishes when he's getting mad. <laughs> that scene cracks me up. I liked him in it, but the story, I couldn't get into it. I've never been a big Lovecraft fan. I think his stories are like really dense and really hard to connect with. And so I just, I didn't feel it with Color Out of Space. Oh, see, I loved Color Out of Space. I was so down. Cool. Um, yeah, so clearly, you know, we spent a good long time talking about Nick Cage. We fucking love this guy. We love his work. Yeah. And we look forward to the future. I, God, I do hope. God, now that you mentioned it. Yeah, because you're right with the, sorry, with the fucking him doing all this indie work and getting like acclaim from all this stuff. Who knows? Maybe the, maybe not necessarily the studios, but if you get one of these directors that's pretty anti studio, which seems to be a big thing nowadays with all these more successful directors. Yeah. It'd be cool to kind of, I like, don't worry, I'm loving the indie resurgence. In case stays in that realm until he's done, that's fine with me. It would be cool to see him work with like one of these more like artistic directors on the on the mainstream side. Now that he's getting all this acclaim. I'd love to see him work with like Ari Aster, Robert Eggers, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, like these weird auteurs that are emerging. I'd love to see Nick Cage bond with one of those guys. Yeah, that would be fucking stellar, honestly. Or to see him like pop up completely out of character in like a Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> I'll take anything. Really love Phil. He pops up in like a Rob Zombie movie. He pops up in the new Monsters movie out of nowhere. He's fucking Herman Munster. 
what if that. that fucking happened? What if we say this as a joke and next thing you know we're hearing Rob Zombie head cast Nicolas Cage as Herman fucking Monster? I would be first in line. Jesus Christ, that would be awesome. <laughs> oh, God, I'd be there so quick. Oh, boy. Okay, so before we get into Pig, I do have two more actors I do want to talk about uh, briefly. Alex Wolf plays Amir, Rob's partner in this truffle hustle. Uh, Wolf is known for his performances uh, in such films as Hereditary, Patriot's Day, and the two most recent Jumanji movies. So he's definitely someone to look out for in the future. He's a very talented actor. Uh, yeah. He was good in this. Yeah, uh, he's, he's definitely a rising star, and he is really good in this. He, he plays a really great, like, foil or sidekick to Nicolas Cage's character. I liked him I was- in this I was fully expecting him to be like a complete shit like Alfie Allen and John Wick, but he actually was a pretty decent kid. And I like that. This movie totally sets you up for a John Wick thriller and pulls the rug out from under you and becomes a relationship drama. And I was very impressed with that. Yeah. Uh, And then the bad guy is Adam Arkin. (laughs) Darius, Amir's father and a bit of a power hungry, sadistic prick. Uh, Adam Arkin is the son of Oscar winning actor Alan Arkin and has appeared in such films as A Serious Man, The Sessions, and Halloween H2O. He's stuck mostly to TV. He hasn't been in that many movies. He's appeared in such shows as Sons of Anarchy, Justified, Fargo, How to Get Away with Murder, Eight Simple Rules, and Monk, just to name a few. Season two of Sons of Anarchy, he plays a despicable son of a bitch. Ethan Zobel, a businessman who is funding the Aryan Nation. He is a real horrible human being and one of the best bad guys that show ever had he plays bad good i'm mostly only familiar him with things like halloween h2o so i've only seen him like a good guy role so every time i'm bad i'm like oh wait okay that's that guy but he does good he does good in this too i mean he plays like the part well i believe it when he sells cage like you try to fuck with me and i'll turn that thing into bacon like i believe that like this guy does not make empty threats yeah, like he he's going to do exactly what he says. I liked. I remember in Monk, he was one of the actors who played Dale the Whale, the giant fat dude who hated Monk a lot. He popped up like three, four times. It was once was Adam Arkin, once was Tim Curry, and then the third or fourth time it was some some dude. I don't know, but uh, yeah, eat. I love Monk. <laughs> it's the close. It's it's a show that it's like feels like jazz to me. I don't know. Not the time. Um, Pig has an IMDb score of 7.1 Rotten Tomatoes score of 97% This is getting critical claim Across the board Uh, It's not doing too hot at the box office It's only grossed about a little under $950,000 For this kind of film It's kind of expected though I honestly really wonder why they thought This would be a theater release Not like VOD It's hardly the film's fault yeah, it, this is a movie that when I was watching it, I, I could kind of tell with the audience. I don't think I was alone in how the audience felt. Um, it's just like, I'm not, and this is not me trying to take a dig at the movie. It's just like, you got to know what's the theater release and what make you money and what's probably better to do VOD. This would have been better VOD, and I feel like they probably would have gotten the money back a lot easier on it than trying yeah. to do a theatrical-only release, especially on a weekend like this when you have like, a bigger budget horror film coming out and a shitty fucking sequel, but whatever. Yeah. Indie films never stand a chance against the blockbusters, but you know, I mean, 
I still like seeing him. I had to really hunt this down. It was only playing at one feeder in my area. And uh, I had to drive quite a distance to see this. So I'm, I'm glad I did. But I would have preferred a nice nice voodoo rental like I got to do last couple weeks. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like last time, last time was, yeah, I could have done with the with the voodoo rental instead. Well, let's discuss some highlights of pig. Um, I really liked this movie. Uh, I thought it was smart. I thought the relationships were felt really realistic. I, you don't see a lot of films about like the dark side of being a chef. You don't see that. You don't. And, but I also felt like some stuff was exaggerated. I doubt they have an underground fight club <laughs> going on. I'll give you that. That was an odd little bit of, yeah, I feel like Portland doesn't have a, a chef fight club. I don't. That honestly, like, I, I know that scene was probably a metaphor for something, but that was the one scene that was like, honestly, kind of weird to me. It was like, I don't need this scene because it's just a grounded film. Yeah. This felt weird. <laughs> Well, that was his way of revealing his name and like understanding, oh, this guy used to be somebody. Uh, I don't really understand why he had to get punched to get the information. That, that was an odd part of the film. I will, I'll give you that. It's odd. It's a weird part. Um, <laughs> I like that it took a kill them with kindness approach to taking out the bad guy. That scene honestly had me so touched when uh, Rob teaches Amir how to make that meal that his parents once had that made them so happy. And Adam Arkin's reaction to the flavors was so beautiful when he just collapsed and couldn't handle it because it made him, he remembered his wife and how much he loved her. That was so touching. I was like, I was really like, my heart was skipping a beat. I was like, Jesus Christ, that's, that's a lot. I will say both of the, the dinner scenes or the eating scenes were fucking phenomenal. Uh, this one, yeah, when he has to leave and he's so broken, and and that's when you click. At, the, I, at least that's when I clicked. On so first I was like, why is he acting like this? And then as soon as he started crying, I was like, oh shit, he he cooked him the meal, and he goes in his room and he says the line, you know, I remember all of the meals I cooked and who I cooked them for. Yeah. I knew the second they started making a meal, I'm like, oh, he's making the meal, but mm-hmm. it was just I thought Adam Arkin's performance there where he's like huh that's hmm. like you can say he doesn't say anything but you can see in his eyes he's like oh that's familiar he's trying to place it and then when he finally does with the wine he's like oh god like it was so oh i i want a best supporting actor nomination for him i really do all around that whole like both of them pulled off outstanding performances because then when you know they get to the office and he finally tells him about the pig and he's like i'm sorry but it, they, those chunkies, they beat it up too bad. There's something we could do. And you, and all it shows is Cage's face, and you see him break. And when you just see him just break, and then finally it just release. And it is, again, why this guy's such a great actor. Like, he, holy shit, you felt it. Like, you felt like he officially lost everything. Well, he never, it's very clear in the movie, he never got over his wife. And he poured all of his love into that pig. Everything he had left to give, he gave to that pig. And losing the pig was it. That was, he was he lost his wife all over again. It was the same level of, dest- of destruction. 
And mm-hmm. ah, did he do a good job showing that? Oof. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, you when you see that break and you see him just like the pre, essentially the pre-sob, and you're like, oh shit, oh god. And then yeah, he just fucking falls to the ground. It's like god damn, he that's that was all he had left. It's all he had left as a man was that, and it's now gone from him. I love the scene where they go to the um like smoky fusion restaurant, the super Portland restaurant. That, that was the second scene I actually really, really liked. And the chef is just this like smiling, like fake smile motherfucker. And I love Cage is like, I fired you because you had no vision. Like, what did you want to do? You wanted a pub. Like, what are you doing here? Why are you like selling yourself like this? They don't care about you. Like you don't care about them. So why are you doing this to yourself? It was so, I think he, that was him talking about himself in Hollywood. I think like they don't love it you, almost, you don't love them, so get out. Yeah, it almost felt like um, like uh, what was I would say Mandy. You know, it dealt with like his his divorce and all that stuff at the time. This to me, it's grief again, but it was almost like you can almost argue that this is a metaphor for his career. This movie, yes, a man who has been he was once this big shot in Hollywood. And then got thrown aside. And something happens that requires him to revisit. And all you can see is this foreign ward that doesn't make sense to him anymore. You know, they do actually a really good job when you go into the city and it's just immediate noise and lights. And yeah. you can tell this isn't this is not his ward no longer. But um, you can see that everybody he encounters is standing on his shoulders. Like everyone he runs into is there because of what he did. And you could argue there's a lot of actors in Hollywood who owe, you know, maybe owe something to Cage in certain movies, you know, got to be supporting actors in his early roles and now are big shots. Yeah. You know, maybe. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I do think that scene you could make, and, and I don't know because I don't know the background of this movie, but it could have been very well been a metaphor because it did feel like that when he's like, you know, they don't care about you. That's why you're doing it. This is what you wanted to do. It's almost like Cage talked to himself, like, you know, you tried the Hollywood thing. Why do you want to, they don't care about you. Just keep doing this, what you're doing now. Yeah. I love when he asked the guy, what was your signature dish going to be? And he rattles it off immediately. He's never stopped thinking about the pub. (laughs) And then he says, like, one of the, I, I love this line. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. Like, fuck, man. Like, really, like, He's right, you know, embrace what you love, do do you, because no one else is going to do it. You know, always fight 100% for what you believe in, regardless of what it is, love, art, anything. I love that idea. That's a great message. Yeah, and again, it can go back to, you know, Cage's career. Do what you love. He has consistently done a career, minus that period of time where you had to kind of say yes to everything because of his debt. He's done what he loves, you know, and now his resurgence, right? He's doing what he loves. You know, Hollywood's turned his back on him. And now he's saying, well, I'm going to do this type of film and, for, you know, do things that I love that the audience is there for and once and I'm getting from it. So, yeah, it's a beautiful, like, metaphor for grief, which is what he's doing and could just easily be a metaphor for his career. Yeah, absolutely. I do think at the end of the film, he, he is going to kill himself. That's what I got when he looked up. I was like, yeah. I think he's going to, this is it. He made peace with Amir. He came home. He 
gets to hear his wife one last time. He's got nothing left to live for. He's or he's Mer- Mer- keeps making the comment constantly throughout the movie. I'm the only one that will ever know if you know you off yourself because I know where you live, and I'm the only one that sees you every single week. And remember when he says them, the last thing he says to them, see you Thursday. It's oh, almost man. like yeah, I didn't even think is, about that part. Holy is, yeah, it's almost like he's going to do it knowing that Amir will be there to see him. And then there's that also, and, and it's kind of coming together because then there was that line where when Amir goes to the uh, the funeral home and that lady makes the comment, I kept the one next to his, next to hers empty just for him. That's the movie, yeah, the, movie almost, the movie almost paints this really nihilistic ending of like doing, but in a weird way, I don't. It's both nihilistic, I think, and hopeful in the sense that you know it's again because the whole movie is a big theme of grief and how do you cope, how do you move on, and it's kind of showing you like unfortunately for some people this is the answer for them. It's not. I'm not saying it's the best answer. It's not a good answer, but it is. You know what. What can you do when you have nothing else to live for anymore? But on the other side, you've got Adam Arkin, who's refusing to let his wife die, who tried to kill herself. Mm-hmm. And he's turned into a sour, bitter, angry man who just has nothing left to care about. And, is, you know, he's pushing his son away. I think, but that meal reminded him that life is worth living and there are things you, that you can care about that, you, that need you to, to, that you need to care about. So I feel like, damn, Cage, Rob put his last bit of hope into that meal and gave it to somebody else. He gave his gift to a mirror almost like, it's your turn to shine because you're young and you're not settled with this grief. I remind us the whole thing with his mom, but you still have a shot, unlike us, unlike us older men who have lived a life and we can't get past our own grief. You know what I mean? Because that's ultimately what this is, is that the other one is getting past their grief in a healthy fashion. No. Damn, and you gave this a seven? I might <laughs> We're bump some real up. insight here. <laughs> I bump it up now that I'm talking about it. <laughs> oh, you know what's weird? This is the second movie I've seen this year that has a bleak cover of Bruce Springsteen's I'm on Fire and also features a character who lost everything and retreated into the wilderness to survive on their own. <laughs> the other one was Land with Robin Wright earlier this year. It's, yeah. Just thought that was weird. <laughs> okay, 2021. <laughs> it's this, yeah, I, I liked Pig. I, I thought it was a good change of pace for everything that's come out this year. It's been mostly sequels and just kind of a lot of forgettable movies. So it was nice to have something that was pure. And uh, I love that. I, I like we're getting closer to award season because I happen to fucking love Oscar bait movies. So I'm in, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, you know, if you listen to the show for a while, you know how fucking crazy we go with the Oscars. Every show does something. <laughs> yeah. Minus, you know what? As much as I when I do my show, I'll probably figure something out to do with the Oscars. We'll pick like, some horrible shitty movie that has that's what I was thinking. I'll make a point to watch be like, I don't I don't forget actor, like, director, suicide squad or something. <laughs> but uh the original one, not James Gunn's upcoming masterpiece. That looks like it's gonna be amazing. Yeah. Pig, 
eight for me. Uh, very good movie. Cage was fantastic. Uh, I hope this gets more attention. Yeah, you know what? I gave it a seven initially. But talking about it, I'm going to give this a second chance. I'm kind of edging towards eight now. I really am. Because yeah. this... Shut up. Don't fucking... I'm, I, I'm <laughs> the, happy. The theme, uh, I was like, the theme of grief is handled very well in here. And I, I do actually kind of appreciate that for once. It's not a happy ending. It's okay. a realistic ending. You know what I mean? For every yeah. person that does go on with, you know, when something bad happens to you, right? And you can't, you get consumed with it. For every person that does find hope and can move on in a healthy way, and that's wonderful. Unfortunately, the sad state of the fact is there's just as many people that can't. And they can't process it correctly. They cannot move on and they go down a terrible path. And this movie really depicts that very well, that um, the unfortunate route. Um, and yeah, Cage, I, you know, I've been like, we've talked about, I know you said ad nauseum, I've been loving his performances in, you know, especially in recent years with his choices, I guess, really since Joe, I would say. But I haven't, even in those, this is his most nuanced performance. And it's, it's a fucking, it's a raw, it's a beautiful performance. I absolutely think he should be up for an award for this movie. Absolutely think he needs more attention to an award. But I know it's not going to happen because I know how the Oscars fucking operate. It's going to piss me off again this year. They might surprise me, but I doubt it. Um, Honestly, I think that a Screen Actors Guild nomination would probably serve him better. Ooh, I think that yeah. would, because that would see him, you know, his peers would see him as, you know, a worthy actor again. And I'd love for him to have more opportunities again. Yes. Because I, mean, I mean, we're talking just like, you know, the acting right but even physical he disappears in this role like his look also he 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 just this person's role physically and performance rise like it is like this is not to me when i was watching like this is not nicholas cage this is you know robin uh filled world-renowned chef like he well, just disappears into it i saw him more as just a broken man just a man with very little left in his life but that pig and when that's gone it's all just like what's left and it, i yeah I, I was very impressed beginning to end um i look forward to this guy's career the director uh I'm, he's clearly got some talent and uh i want to see what he does next yeah same i i, I you know what? i'll bump it up to an eight i will revise my score i'll bump Yay. it up to an eight um i'll keep my eye out and yeah dude I really, I, I know it's a pipe dream. I don't get my hopes let down. I really, I sincerely hope that not just Cage, but really like the right, you know, writer director. Unfortunately, I forgot his name. No offense to the guy. I'm trying to be rude to him. Um, Michael Sarnowski. Michael Sarnowski. I hope he gets attention because he, he really did. Like, this is a beautifully written, beautifully directed film. So I just hope this really. I mean, granted, I said the same thing when Manny was coming out. I was like, oh, I hope this is the film that finally gets Cage. That didn't happen, but hey, I hope it's this film. I hope Pig is finally the fucking one that does it. Well, I hate to say it, but Pig has a leg up because it's not a horror movie. The Oscars might actually look at this one. That's true, too. It's a more, it's a more mainstream film for them. Wow. Well, this was. I'm glad we chose this film to focus on. Uh, I feel like we wouldn't have had this kind of conversation with the other four films we had this uh, today. 
no, not, not, no. The other phones were just like, well, MySpace Jam too. Tried to deliver fun entertainment, whereas this was like, do you want an hour and a half of how to not deal with your grief in the correct way? So, yeah. My, like, honestly, the only, now that I'm talking about, the only negative I have is still that one random underground fight scene. It just does not make sense. <laughs> it was weird, but it didn't bother me that much. I was more just like, okay, let's, uh, I guess we're done with that. Yeah, it, I think that's it. It's just, it really stands out in a very grounded film. It really stands out. It's like, um, okay. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everyone. This was a fun episode, a little dark, but fun. Uh, we've got three major releases to discuss next week. First up on Prime Video, Jolt, starring Kate Beckinsale. Then in theaters, we've got Snake Eyes, the long-awaited G.I. Joe prequel starring Henry Golding. And M. Night Shyamalan's latest thriller, Old. Sure to be an interesting show. We've got Kate Beckinsale, G.I. Joe, and M. Night Shyamalan. Going to be an oddball show. Very excited. On the whole weekend. Don't miss Psycho Gorman on Wednesday's Filmgasm and a Best Picture Showdown on 1992's Unforgiven on Oscar Sunday. Have a great week and keep watching movies. <laughs>